get ready for a parenting adventure. Welcome to Little Adventures Parenting and Beyond, the podcast that explores all things family. From child development to mental health, we've got you covered. Join us for a fun and informative discussion with expert guests and real-life parents. Let's go on an adventure. Hello and welcome to another episode of Little Adventures Parenting and Beyond. This is a very special episode. We are actually recording live from Morsel West Library. We are here with Amber and Christina. Say hi, guys. Hi. And we're going to learn all about Amber's journey to becoming a foster parent and an adoptive parent. So let's jump right in. So Amber, tell me about your decision to become a foster parent because that is like, that is, that's commitment. (laughs) (laughs) It is a lot. (laughs) Um, So from the time I was 12, um, I knew I wanted to adopt. I just had this in my mind. So um, meeting friends through school and there were a lot of kids who were in foster care and who had been adopted through foster care. So it really piqued my interest. And I had a friend my senior year of high school who um, was part of a very extended family. Um, So they talked a lot about the process and what adoption meant to them and it just meant so much and it stuck with me so like fast forward a few years like right before I got married I was working in a department store and I had a family come in because we had a we had a like a partnership with department of social services for vouchers Mm -hmm. and so when kids would come into care they would get a certain amount of money to um spend to kind of get them started And this family would come in with like new kids and they would talk to me about fostering. And, you know, it was just kind of like just a little bit of an entry into it. And I got to see a lot about their life and the types of kids that came into care, the different situations. And a lot of it was very heartbreaking, but then there were like some really good moments too. And they celebrated when kids went home. And um, so I got married a couple months, you know, after first meeting them, I started a job at a bank and wouldn't you know that that family came into the bank. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, what are the odds? I know. I know. <laughs> you were getting pulled into foster care the whole time. Yeah. Like that's. Yeah. yeah it was crazy. I have chill bumps. But, yeah, um, me too. <laughs> so this family then like, obviously I knew it was a sign. So I started talking very seriously about it. And, um, you know, right after you get married, you you kind of decide like, are you going to start a family or not? Like when is the right time to do this? And so we decided to start trying for a family of our own first. Um, and we entered like infertility and it was, you know, we hit like this, this like fork in the road and we're like, Hey, either we're going to spend a lot of money with, um, IVF or we can like go ahead and start the journey to fostering. And cause this is something that we wanted to do anyways. Um, so we kind of, at that point, um, in, I had a miscarriage at the very end of that whole infertility, you know, um, time. And the day that I went to have, my ultrasound when I found out, um, my mom and I were at Walmart 
And wouldn't you know, <laughs> that family. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so they, the, they were there, and um, they were so excited because the little boy that they had had from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, his adoption had finalized that day. Oh. So I was like, all right. I, nope, nope. I got, like, yeah. I got chills. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Amber, what a moment. Yeah, it was crazy. So obviously, I went home, <laughs> and and you know I was still grieving because yeah. we had like lost a baby, and um, but we spent like the next month or two really talking about the logistics and how this would work, and it was kind of we're like, well, let's do it. So I called. Um, it is quite a process to get started. It's very overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> So I talked to a social worker who got me a packet, who got me um, the date for their intro and like information session. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of, we just started and it was a 10 week course of like, uh, I think it was a three hour session once a week for 10 weeks. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. And you can only miss like two. So my husband worked nights at the time, so he had to... And then go on his schedule to avoid Wow. Right. So it was it was a time commitment to start. And then I felt like I knew everything about fostering when I finished that class. And uh, I was really wrong. <laughs> but but um, it, it kind of, I learned a little bit about fostering, but I learned the most whenever kids were just like throwing them off. So mm-hmm. um, but that's really how we got introduced to it and how we kind of, you know, it was just a sign that we needed to do it. So we did. And like after, so 10 week course, and then we finished up in December by March, we were licensed and we had kids in our home, like that first weekend. Oh, wow. Right after you got licensed. Yep. So we started with respite care, which is um, where you kind of relieve foster parents and give them a break. Okay. And um, so we started taking some like short-term placements and we had um, a situation presented to us about adoption and it kind of it didn't really work out. And I'll explain more about that later. But um, then I got a call in May about a set of 13-year-old twins. <laughs> oh my gosh. And mind you, like our first age group that we said, yes, like this is what we wanted was zero to two and maybe one or two kids. Right, so that's very different than a teenager, let alone two. Right, so um, they were only supposed to stay till Friday, so this was Monday. Friday, they were, um, they were gonna leave and go to another foster home that they had found, and we, on Thursday, we're like, these kids are great, like, you know, nobody told yeah. me about the honeymoon phase yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were great. They still are great. But, you know, every, every, um, every person and every buddy goes through something and it, you know, sometimes in kids, it shows us like behavior. So anyway, so they ended up staying and about a week after that, uh, we got my daughter who is now nine. And so we went from zero kids to three kids. Oh my gosh. gosh. That's a transition. Yep. And then that's a big grocery bill. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. So that's kind of the start of our journey. That's amazing. I mean, your whole pathway was just laid out for you. Like you were getting prepared your whole entire life to become a foster parent. Like that's, yeah, that's amazing. It was crazy. Like it was a very intentional, like God really intentionally put these people in my way so that I would 
know when the right time was. So that's that's amazing. Yeah. I know um, it's probably not easy to be a foster parent and to be an adoptive parent. So what are some of the challenges you first faced when you started fostering adoption in the adoption process? So I would say navigating the system. Mm-hmm. Um, we chose to go through the county to foster, which we weren't aware of other ways to foster, which was were private agencies okay. that mm-hmm. also offer um, foster services. So through the county, they have limited funding and there's not a lot of resources. Um, and then also the laws regarding foster care are really like geared towards the parents and not the children, which is so funny. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah. you think it would be the opposite because these kids are in there for a reason. Yeah. And you as a foster parent are there to support them. So you think it would be easier for on your end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is not. And um, there has not been a reform since like some of these laws have been in effect since 1970s. Oh, um, wow. So like there are a lot of things that need change that, you know, um, kids don't really have a voice of whether they want to go home or not until mm-hmm. they're, I think, 14. So um, at that point, they can say, you know, I'm really feeling like I may not want to go home. I don't feel like it's safe or whatever. And a judge still makes the decision whether the kid says they don't want to go home or not. That's heartbreaking. I, uh, when I was in nursing school, I volunteered at a foster care in Concord. And that happened to me while I was there. And it broke my heart. I mean, this girl was 11 years old. She wanted to be a hairstylist. That's why I, I, oh my gosh, this girl, I saw her the other day at the grocery store and I was like, oh my God, you're all grown up now. She wanted to be a hairstylist. So she was practicing doing my hair and they came in and said it was time to go. And she bawled her eyes and said, I don't want to go. Please don't make me go. And it, I mean, I was young. I was 20 at the time and I'm 32 now. And it's still, I still hear those, that cry. Like that, that hurts. I can't even imagine having to see that all the time. Yeah. Cause like it, yeah, it's really hard. And like hearing one thing and then a judge saying you have to do this is like, and and, you know, consoling children and telling them, you know, it's going to be okay. And a lot of times when those kids would walk out, I knew in my heart, it wasn't going to be okay, but, but you had to really, you know, you had to make them feel like it was going to be okay. Even Mm -hmm. though you knew, yeah, insecure. So that was the hard part. I'd say that's the biggest challenge. Now, how's your partner with all of this? So he he just was along for the ride. Yep. <laughs> and um, he it's funny because he does not like change. Um, <laughs> and it was a, it was just a jokes on you, buddy. <laughs> it was like a constant change within our home, and um, that we learned a lot about each other, a lot about our marriage. Um, and I, I think that's another challenge is really learning we didn't know how each other operated at that point Mm -hmm. we'd only been married for three years and you know you're relying on each other for a lot of this um like support um that's the only person other than the children in your home that know everything that's going on yeah so um learning to um say what my needs were and how to meet them I didn't know like um so and that's something you learn as you go so we had to overcome that and then he he really has stepped up to foster and to love 
teenagers with me, which was a really hard thing because we were 25 and 26 when we started. And so you're just babies yourself. Like, and then you got 13 year old twins. Yeah. At that age. So the legal age gap for you to foster, um, is 10 years. So technically we could have taken 15 year olds, but, um, yeah. Wow. Oh, I would not want a 15 year old at 25. (laughs) (laughs) Get the advantage to that was that I had just recently been through those years myself. So I knew all the tricks and all the things that they were going to try to do. (laughs) There's nothing you could do that I haven't already tried. Yeah. You still have the lingo okay. down pat at that point. That's a very positive way to spin that. Yeah. <laughs> and my anxiety probably would have been to the roof, but you're like, okay, well, you know what? I know what you're about to try. Don't try it. <laughs> I guess I was sort of naive as a parent, but not as a person because I had had a lot of experience in life. You know. Okay. So how do you navigate the emotional complexities that come with fostering and adopting? So definitely learning the child. Um, that's the first part is making them feel secure and safe and that I think in order to do that you really have to look at them as your child and I know that sounds so crazy because you're setting yourself up for heartache because at some point you know they could be a a one day notice or even a couple hours that they're being moved like you know you don't have a lot of time to prepare so you're loving these kids until the moment they're gone like and, and, and even after you know but Um, Do you get to keep in contact with them after, or do you get to hear updates, I guess? Depends on if they stay in foster care or not. So a lot of the kids that we fostered, the teenagers, Mm -hmm. I've stayed in contact with. They've messaged me on Facebook or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but the little kids, no. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're, yeah. a lot of them are either with their biological family and they won't remember our names, you know, Mm -hmm. because they're so young. But if you treat the child like your own, you're going to learn them and you're going to get those natural instincts to know. And mm-hmm. I could tell by the way one of my teenagers will walk down the stairs what kind of day we were going to have. Mm-hmm. Literally by the way that they set their cereal bowl down. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> this is going to be a rocky day. Um, and, and it changed based on what they had going on. Every week we had visits with family. So it took okay. two to three days to get over that. Either the parents showed up. And then we were dealing with the effects of like what was said in the visit or what wasn't said in the visit or the kids showed up at DSS and the parent didn't. And then that's so heartbreaking to see. And, you know, um, so then you're consoling them or, you know, and you're just helping them work through their feelings. And that's the most important thing is, you know, um, making sure that they can communicate their feelings in whatever way they can, however age they are, whatever age, Um, as a toddler, you know, giving them an outlet to be angry mm-hmm. um, and then allowing them to understand what feelings are. And then therapy. We mm-hmm. have all been in therapy and I'm still in therapy because every other week and I was every week until a couple months ago. Therapy is amazing. Everyone should be in therapy. Like mm-hmm. I love therapy. I'm yeah. a big advocate for it. Now, was that something that the county Like, how did you guys do, or did you guys choose that that would be best for the kids? So the kids immediately, once coming into care, at a certain age, they require them to be in therapy regularly. Which is good. And the therapist can kind of determine whether that's once a week, once a month, every other week. Okay. Based on what they can see. Um, I had some kids that would go into therapy and would just sit there 
and they would cut it short. And then I had some kids who wanted to keep talking. And Mm -hmm. um, so we stopped looking at therapy as like a have to do thing and really encouraging them to open up. And one, another thing that I can say with this is like a therapist is not a one size fits all. Yeah. There it's like meeting your partner in life. Like you can go through, I think we went through probably seven or eight for my nine year old. Yeah. And she was three when she came to me. So it was I've broken up with a lot of therapists as well. Because, like, they're good for a portion of your life, but then you outgrow them or things change. And I get that. It's – got to find your person. Yeah. And we found several. We we found one that was great for our teenagers. Um, We did equine therapy. And, like – That is so cool. Yeah. She was amazing. Um, It was – she would do some equine and then she would also pull them and do talk therapy as well. So she kind of, she could toggle between. And that was, that was probably where we saw the most breakthroughs. Yeah. And there were many times that woman would come to my house, like in just in the middle of the night because somebody was having a crisis and there's not a lot of help for that moment. Nobody can, nobody can prepare you for that and um, so I think through therapy and really knowing your child and really learning them that's where that's how we've navigated this did um so I know you can foster through a lot of different avenues you fostered with the county what kind of support did you receive for that or what kind of support would you have wished you received what would be some support items that you would need or some kind of programs that would be beneficial um, for your situation and for anybody who's fostering? So I think knowing the resources out there. So having some sort of hub to go to to say, oh gosh, we need a car seat. And yeah, um, I think having those local, because there are a lot of local nonprofits that you can partner with to, you know, um, make that a little bit easier. Um, the other thing is support, um, support groups. Um, yeah. That is one thing, like, I mean, having mom support, but also having people that are going through some of the similar things. And it's funny because a lot of the people that supported me were going through the same things with their biological children. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my support came from those people who could just share those insights and tips and help. and Yeah, because a kid is a kid, whether they're fostered or not all kids go through temper tantrums and phases and moments and and kids show feelings in big ways so yeah like there's so many people who have children going through loss um that can show exactly how to help um but as far as like resources um just having connections to those places knowing where to look yeah having um reading lists um because there's a lot of there's a lot of um, books out there that are really helpful for learning how the brain operates with trauma. Yeah. Um, there's trauma-informed care that you can get training on. Um, that's really cool. hmm And that's really helpful. I had a lot of free training through therapy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they, they shared how that, that stuff worked to me, but I've been able to help others with that. Um, 
But I think that would be very helpful. And that kind of goes into how do you navigate the emotional complexities of fostering a child and giving them a stable environment. I'm sure, especially having like such a wide range teenagers, hormones, babies, terrible twos, like, I mean, you're navigating a whole spectrum all in once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, adoption, a lot of people don't think of it this way, but it doesn't matter if a child comes to you at birth or they're 17 years old, adoption is still trauma. And a lot of people see it as such a bright light, like, oh, yeah, the adoption is the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but yeah. it's not. Um, it means that someone else lost something very yeah. special to them that you gained. So um, understanding that for the kids' sake and for the biological parents as well, um, I think that's very helpful in navigating this process. Do you um, have a lot of contact with the biological parents? So it looks different for every child. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of looks the same way you look at friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, not every person you're going to invite to your home. Yeah. Right? Not every person is going to be a safe person to have around your family. Um, so what I just, this is one of my strengths is um, finding connections for my kids that are biological connections and finding safe members of the family okay, that they can ask questions to, that they can reach out to. Um, Cause you know, there's always going to be questions. It doesn't matter if they're a baby or they're older, mm-hmm. like, um, and a lot of um, parents who biological parents, they have sheltered the children from healthy relationships in the family because they didn't want to be turned in or reported. So, yeah. so you have to understand that part too. So, um, I have relationship. I have like a really good relationship with um, one of my children, the grandparents, and okay. all of the siblings. Um, I talk to I talk to her frequently, and it's so nice to have that. And she answers a lot of medical questions for me because we've had a lot of medical complexities, um, um, complex medical issues, is what I meant. Yeah. Um, and my my daughter actually. Um, we, she is nine and her mother has, has, um, battled with addiction, Mm -hmm. which is the typical story these days, um, with foster care. So, um, in learning a lot about addiction, I, and through the therapy, I was able to create a relationship with her. So the first time I met her, I actually met her in jail. Okay. That's fun. (laughs) Six months before we adopted her and, um, I wanted to put a face to who, I mean, I just needed to know them. And mm-hmm. like, I got a lot of pushback from the county for this, Yeah. but I had mm-hmm. two very good social workers who went with me and, um, they were right by my side the whole time. And so we, we even went on an off visit day and they had to pull some major strings to get them in front oh, of me. Wow. So, yeah. So I gave them pictures. I explained who I was, what my intentions were. And, um, I just wanted to let them know that I was there you know, if they had questions or they wanted to keep up with her, that opened a door with her mom and she was released about a year after. Mm -hmm. And I met her for lunch and we talked for two and a half hours. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Um, that developed our friendship. And so she struggled with addiction after, and she was, she went to prison for a while. 
she got out a little over a year ago and mm -hmm. she has put in the work and one of my rules for being able to have a relationship with the kids is that they have to show stability they have to show that they're going to be there no matter what and they have to show that in whatever way they can yeah um so that could be a birthday card it could be that they can depend on it could be that they message me frequently and like ask how they're doing like they need to show that they can be dependable because I can't introduce someone that's going to disappear yeah, yeah. that consistency mm -hmm. so um she has shown consistency so in February of this year um my daughter had a lot of questions and they were questions I didn't know how to answer because I didn't have those answers I didn't yeah. know about these family members I only knew about certain ones you know right um so we drove to her like the town where her recovery house is and she met us and we talked and we spent um kind of two days together at the beach oh wow, wow. yeah hmm. and um she got to ask all the questions that she wanted and it was wonderful after we left she didn't ask about her her birth mom for a little while I think she was like it was like sinking in and then one day she said can we call her and it was right before her birthday and she invited her to her birthday party. So she came down oh. for the weekend. and Oh, mm -hmm. the fact that she came was amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, she had to move mountains to get here. Yeah, so. because she's in the recovery house. and Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, so. that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm so proud of her because she's put in so much work. And, oh. I know, <sighs> I know. So with her, it's been a lot easier because I've, her birth mom has just been – even through addiction, she's been so wonderful. And um, she didn't make great choices sometimes, but none of us, look, we all have yeah. moments. Right. And just understanding that there are people behind addiction. Um, for my older kids, um, safety was a concern for another. So you know, mm -hmm. domestic violence is, yeah. mm -hmm. um, we had to really be careful. So there's a no contact order for one set, but I was able to find cousins and aunts and uncles and lots of people who have been able to support her. That's wow. wonderful. Yeah. So yeah. by saying you found them, I guess social media, has that been a good outlet? Yeah. Yeah. And she was old enough, so she knew some of the names. Okay. But um, we kind of together navigated that. Um, awesome. And she, I like make sure the kids are able to lead it because I'm not pushing something on them, but when right. they're ready, they will tell me. So that's wonderful. Yep, and then my oldest, um, she has a good relationship with her, her biological grandma, and um, it's it's been like a really hard situation with her, but she has had to navigate since turning 18 that relationship and what she wants from all of her family. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. It is. And she has, she had the strength to really put her foot down on a lot of situations. And I'm so proud of her. Like she is wonderful and she's grown up to be such an amazing kid. And I'm so proud of her. She works full time and she lives on her own. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yep. And that's then, like a proud mom moment. Like yeah. you, you did really well to prepare them for being independent. She's the first one in her whole family to graduate high school. Wow. What like, an accomplishment. As far back as four generations that we could find. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's such an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, she's doing so good. And then my 19-year-old, um, she just finished her freshman year at UNCG. So, oh. yeah. 
Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. She even chose to go to summer school, so she's doing that oh, too. Wow. She's really committed. She's like, <laughs> oh. let me just get this done. <laughs> yeah. You love to hear that. Like they want to better themselves and they want to do such wonderful things. Like, mm-hmm. oh, now college. Does the state, I guess, or the county help with that for them? Mm-hmm. There's okay. a lot of really good programs. So if a kid's adopted after age 12, um, they get free college. So okay. up to a that's master's amazing. degree. Wow. Oh, what a, that's wonderful. As mm-hmm. they, yeah, they deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> As they should. That's yeah, amazing. she had like an overage every semester. So it helped with her living expenses and they covered all of her books, her meal plan, her, her room and board. It was awesome. That's an amazing program. Yeah. Like, so after 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, for some, some kids don't take advantage of that. And it's something that a lot of kids actually don't know about. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of um, potential foster and adoptive parents, like they steer away from older kids because of the financial strain that they feel like that it could place on them. So there are a lot of resources. There's resources to help them buy their first car. Um, They'll match up to a certain dollar amount for a down payment. Um, There's a program in North Carolina that can um, pay for their deposit on their first apartment. Um, That is so cool. How did you find out about all these resources? Was this like something through the county that helped you? Or did you have to do your own research to find all these things? So I had a really good social worker that helped with parts of it. Okay. Um, and it was just kind of learning as you go. Um, it's a really, really, really hard thing to find resources. I think yeah. that is the most challenging <laughs> with, uh, with like finding money that's out there. there. There's money for scholarships. There's money for things that you just don't even think about. And, um, and post speaking of money, um, Kids are given um, Medicaid through the whole process. Okay, cool. That's great. That's a great resource. That's amazing. Um, And then even after adoption, if they're over age two. Um, So, yeah. They still qualify for Medicaid even. Oh, wow. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. See, I didn't realize that after they were adopted that they still qualify for that. That's awesome. And if they're after age 16, then they keep Medicaid until they're 21. Wow. Wow. So both of my kids, my older two, got to keep Medicaid until. So that's all of their medical care covered. That is such a relief because insurance is such a financial financial strain. Like It is. It is. And then there's a lot of um, things that come along with um, uh, having prenatal drug exposure. Yeah. Um, that, you know, when you adopt young kids, you don't know. And it comes out later. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that kind of helps with some of that and um, getting therapy for free and stuff. So, that's wonderful that all those resources are available. I mean, obviously you have to find them, but that's it's really great that they have those programs out there. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, how long were your adoption processes? Did they range in wide variety, or did it typically take the same amount of time each time? No. So everyone is different. (laughs) Um, So my first placement was the last to be adopted. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So she was in care for uh, three and a half years before she was adopted. 
Oh, wow. It was a very hard process. Then um, my son was three weeks old when he came home with me, and his was within 16 months. Okay. And then my daughter, the second youngest, she was um, 18 months from start to To finish. finish. The first placement, was she older? Is that why I guess it took longer, or just because... Yeah, everything kept getting postponed. That's that's very frustrating when you're going through the court process. And um, we could go to court dates, and we would sit all day, and then at the very end of the day, they would continue it, and then it would be two to three months out. So it would not only it, there's a certain time period that they have to wait in order to do certain things in the process, mm-hmm. and when they continued, that time in between was just kind of erased. So yeah. it's it's. It just keeps the kids in limbo. and That's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. And then after rights are terminated for a parent, they have the right to appeal the decision. A lot of parent, a lot of biological parents think that they have a chance to get their children back. But what that actually does is they're only looking at if they had a fair trial. Okay. Okay. But if it gets overturned and someone says, you know, this person did not, then the whole process starts over. Like yeah. square one. Square one, like, like it's as if, the, even though the child may have been there for three years, you're starting back on the first day that they came into your home. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And it happens, it does. I have a friend who, they had, a, they had a little boy. He was, like, one or two when he first came, and he just got adopted, and he is nine. Yeah. Wow. That is a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard for the kids, too, because they don't know what's going on, because they don't don't know okay am I going to get to stay am I gonna oh my gosh yeah that's tough it really is hard what um have you incur- uh, encountered any misconceptions or stigmas about being a foster parent and adoptive parent yeah um the first one I think that everybody wants to hear about is money <laughs> like oh, that foster oh <laughs> that foster parents make a lot of money like everybody thinks that do that's- you <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> so, I was going to say, you're looking for resources for car seats and college, so obviously it's not yeah, a financial so, gain. So most of my therapies were out of pocket um, mm-hmm. because I found um, the best therapy for my kids. Um, um, tutoring, that's out of my pocket. Like, yeah. There are a lot of things that come, and those the kids' checks, I mean, a lot, it took up all of it. Um, my son had severe allergies, so he was on formula until he was two. And it was that adds up. that's a price. Not only that, every can, it was a small can of formula, and it was $52 a can. They do get wick, but they only covered eight cans, and he would drink 15 cans a month. Yeah. Wow. So that comes out of pocket. So, you know, it just, there's all these things. And then raising a teenager, you know, going to. Yeah. Hollister and Abercrombie, I mean, you know. It's expensive. Yeah. It, My it son is. just got his first pair of Abercrombie jeans, and I'm like, this is, mm-mm. <laughs> no thank you. And then buying their first car, like, you know, so that's that's kind of, I mean, it, you know, you do get money, but it definitely is eaten up, and you think about your groceries increasing, your, mm-hmm. your the housing, and all of the accessories, and beds, and all that stuff yeah. that you purchase. So, so funny you say all the beds and all the stuff and like that how 
many bedrooms is in your house because if you have like all these kids like I mean you need like a 20 bedroom house <laughs> so when we fostered when we first started we had a home and it was um we had two bonus rooms upstairs we had three bedrooms down so okay so you had a lot of space we did and it came in handy for yeah. the teenagers um but there has to be a five-year um or less difference in age for the kids to share okay so our older two eventually shared, um, but most of the time they had their own room. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. Yeah, that's tough though because not everybody would have that. Yeah, I have a friend who had a three-bedroom house and she adopted six kids, and she had like, have you ever seen the triple bunk beds? Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would. You'd have to. Mm-hmm. But it was a sibling group, and she yeah. didn't want to separate them. That's wonderful. mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so she did what she had to do and she did it and all the kids love it. And they have been like, I think it made them closer, you know? Yeah. So do you feel like you get a lot of judgment from being a foster parent and an adoptive parent? So going through the process, I think I was harder on myself. And I think that I, um, I thought that people judged me. I think that they judged the kids before they met them, especially the teenagers. Um, okay. I noticed going around people, they're like watching their stuff to make sure nobody stole anything or, um, yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, there are kids who steal. I mean, there's adults who steal. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens, but, um, I think that that type of judgment is what we saw the most of. Um, and then people are like, wow, you started your family really young because we were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 25 with a 13 year old, like, whoa, pregnant high school. Like, <laughs> yeah. My kids told all their friends that we started really young. <laughs> yeah, so, that, I was like 12. <laughs> yeah. I was like, middle school. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Like, Golly. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Now they're really going to judge me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. That's so funny. So in your home currently, what do you have um, foster kids? You're any um, adoptive children? Do you have any biological children? So right now we're in that stage of life where um, my older two are out. Mm -hmm. I have one in college that just finished their freshman year. I have one um, who is living on her own. And then I have my two younger ones at home. Um, our foster license, we we stopped fostering in 2021 and my parents ended up getting their foster license in 2020. Oh, so, so I had, so it was like, a, you know, I passed the torch. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. So That's there was cool. a child that we had taken in and I loved her so much and she, we couldn't keep her because it just didn't, it just wasn't the right dynamic and we didn't, we couldn't meet her needs. Yeah. We did not have the tools to meet her needs. So my parents decided to take her. Aww. And yeah, so that was wow. why they got their foster license. And then um, she ended up going home and they took in my foster brother and um, my foster sister, who are now 19 and 18. So, wow. Yeah. And That's they're doing so cool. really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing really good. That's, oh my gosh. It's like a whole family affair. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my parents supported me the most. Yeah. Um, and then. And was, obviously inspired by you. Like, <laughs> well, and I think they saw the need and the, the need to help. 
and yeah. they have such big hearts. And my dad is a sucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is. He is. He is. Especially for for my girls, he just they they literally they they have he is wrapped around their finger. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So they've got four wheelers, like whatever they want. They just yeah. Still. Are they the only grandkids? Yes. So I have a brother, and I don't. They haven't had children yet. Um, yeah. I don't think they will. So my mom's like. If it wasn't for you fostering and adopting, I would never have grandkids. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they eat it up. Oh yeah. And that those are her grandbabies. It doesn't matter where they came from. Right. Yeah. She so. is she's like a mama bear grandma. Like, don't mess with her. That's awesome. And then is your husband's family just as supportive? Or I know it can be hard. Um yes and no. Um, so we we've had rocky moments with that. So but not not always. Um they they were there and just through it. I just don't think they know how to knew how to support us. Yeah. It's and hard. It's it, it is. And not everyone is gonna be on board and not everyone is gonna, you know, understand your desire and your need to help. Um, yeah. so I think a lot of people thought we were crazy. They're like, Why are you keep taking in all these kids? Like, you know, <laughs> you know, you're really putting a strain on yourself. Like, you know, I'm sure this isn't easy, but if I didn't do it, who is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's such a need. It's sad and it's scary and yeah, it, it is. It really is to think about the statistics and how many kids grow up, and then the other statistics of how many kids grow up in a group home. All right, Amber, are there any particular stories or experiences from your journey as a foster or adoptive parent that you would like to share with our listeners? Actually, yes. So I I um, had reached out to my older girls because I wanted to see if they wanted part of their stories shared. And my oldest child actually told me she wanted her perspective as a foster kid at age 13. Oh, so, wow. so this, this starts um, from the day that she was taken into care. And so it's a little heartbreaking and I may cry, but here we are. Oh, <clears throat> how old was she when she was taken into care? 13. 13. Okay. Yep. And she's 19 now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So this is from Valerie's perspective. Okay. So. My story began when DSS arrived at my home and gave me two minutes to place mine and my siblings' items into a trash bag. After leaving our home, they took us to McDonald's to get something to eat. After we ate, we went to DSS with my three younger siblings. An hour after we arrived, my two youngest siblings left to go to their new foster home. My brother left a couple hours later. I took care of my siblings and had never been apart from them. That was the hardest day of my entire life. After about another five to six hours, they told me they didn't have a foster home for me since I was a teenager and that I would be going to a group home. I arrived there a little after midnight. I remember there was a ton of paperwork and it took forever to get me checked in. They checked my bags for any devices and drugs and weapons. They handed me a blanket and sent me to my room. I remember being extremely scared and unsure of what might happen next to me. My time at the group home was really bad. It felt more like a prison than a home. In order to leave the building, we had to prove ourselves using a leveling system. There were no hugs every day, no one to show love. There wasn't really anybody guiding us. Um, Just lots of rules in a locked building with cement walls and windows with alarms. 
There were no sleepovers or going to friends' houses for birthday parties, no extracurricular activities. It was go to school and then come home and stay inside for the most part. I was only allowed visits with my siblings once a week. If my mom actually showed up. If not, we didn't get to see each other that week. It was really hard not seeing them and knowing where they were. Life was like this for seven months until I met my adoptive family at an event, and then my life changed forever for better. Mm-hmm. And then I met Valerie at a Lynx, which is a program for teenagers. Um, it was a Lynx event at Carowinds, and she just happened to be placed in our group. I had my two teenagers, and then um, every one of the other kids in there I knew but her. And I asked the social worker, I was like, who are her who are her foster parents? And she said, well, that's a crazy story because um, this is her first Christmas away from her family. It was three days before Christmas. And so she had been taken from her siblings. This was her first Christmas away from them. And she was the primary caregiver for her, for her yeah. brothers and sisters. Yeah. So it was like. thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. So I called my husband. I was like, hey. I'm bringing home a kid for Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> he's Merry like, Christmas. <laughs> he was like, no, you aren't. <laughs> and then I was like, yes, I am. And so um, she came the day before Christmas. So I had I had one day to get all of her Christmas stuff together. Oh, my gosh. We had, like, a huge community of people who came through and bought stuff and helped. And it was just amazing. My mom. And we had Christmas. She came home with us. And she was due to leave the 26th of December. And... We called the social worker, and she ended up staying until, um, I think it was like January 3rd or 4th, and on the day before she was supposed to leave, we sat her down, and we asked her if she wanted to stay. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Our, our, our conversation with the social worker, she had stated that she was headed into permanency, which was either guardianship or adoption, and if she went guardianship, she would be in that group home until she was 18, so it was five years. Wow. Yeah. Five years of group home life. So, yeah. So that's a wild perspective because you think about a group home. You think it's be it's better to be removed from the parents, but you're in this group home. You can't even go outside. Like you can't go to the birthday parties. You can't have a normal social life. Mm-hmm. So five years of that. It's, yeah, it's a lot, and there's kids every day, and um, I'll never forget. Um, so she had to finish out the semester and when we went to go pick her up from there with all of her stuff, she had told her roommate, she said, remember what I told you, keep praying because I prayed every night for my family and they came for me. And it was like the most heartbreaking thing. And, um, so a year after that she was adopted and she's been with us ever since, but yeah. Mm. Does she get to see her brothers and sisters? Um, she talks to them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're kind of spread out a little bit away from her, but yeah, she has, and we we made an effort to get together with them. All of their all their adoptive parents are like saints. They're they're awesome. Yeah. Oh wow! I wasn't ready. No. <laughs> oh, my pregnant self wasn't ready. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Unless... Oh my gosh, that hurts your heart yeah. to hear that. But yeah. that's also great. So all of her siblings were also adopted. They were. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yep. And um, two of her brothers were together, and then her sister was adopted separately. And like I said, they're in great families. And that's good. That's such a blessing. Like, yeah. Wow. But yeah. So that's that's why there's a need for for foster parents. 
There's so many teenagers out there and so many kids that just need a home. Thank you for sharing Valerie's story. I that's she is so strong. So she's a she's such a special kid and I asked her, I said, what um I said I said, what made you feel safe and loved when you were in her home? Because yeah. I want I wanted her perspective on some yeah. of these questions. Yeah. And she said, um, I finished school, I never thought I would because you helped me. Mm. Um, and you gave me a place to call home. So that make you so proud of the mom. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Like, you did so good. <laughs> like, that's all you want for your kids is to make them feel safe and have a home. And, yeah, like, you know, God put you on this earth to, to give that to these kids. And that's just, oh, I wasn't ready for crying today. Mm-hmm. But, no. Amber, I the strength that you have and the gift that you give these kids, like, that's just amazing. Yeah. I think they gave me more. Yeah. Oh, God. So much more. You're so wonderful. That's beautiful. There, if you can't foster, you can help. You can offer to bring a meal to someone who fosters. You can offer to babysit. You can offer mm-hmm. to bring hand-me-down clothes to someone that, you know. I was going to ask about that, actually. I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I know every family is different. But are you allowed to share photos of the adopted children? Adopted, not adopted children. Are you allowed to share photos of the foster children or allowed to bring them to events or, um, I guess. So, so like, so adopted children, yes, but foster kids, like you can bring them. You just can't advertise that they're foster kids and you can't post pictures of them. Um, they can't show their face. Yeah. So a lot of people will put stickers over their face or, mm-hmm. or like show the backsides or. But like, are you able to sign them up for sports mm-hmm. and. Yep. You're like. Yep. We are. Yeah. We, we, they did all kinds of extracurricular activities. So. That's amazing. Yeah. And then as far as, um, so when it comes to like sleepovers or activities or, um, how do you, na- or birthday parties with friends, how do you navigate them being in somebody else's care so if they're in the county um through the foster care system um they have much more lenient rules as far as that goes um so less than three nights i think or i think three nights or less is what it is um and they can stay in any trusted adult that you trust okay so um some private foster agencies specifically children's home society Um, They have to be like a licensed foster parent in order for them to go spend the night or they have to get pre-approval. They have to have background checks and all kinds of things. So like they could do sleepaway camp. Yeah. If it's three days or less. But they have to get approval. Okay. Yeah. But but as far as like through the county, Mm -hmm. no, you have as as a foster parent, we're like fostering through the county. You can make that decision up to three nights. Okay. And then as far as like babysitters go, Mm -hmm. is there any rules about babysitters? So like. Primary care for like if you're going like if you're working out of the home like mm-hmm. um, like an actual like nanny or babysitter yeah. they would have to be in a licensed childcare facility. Okay, but as far as like date nights, yeah, you can offer babysitting services. You know. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So that's a way to help too. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> like, I'm sure it's really hard like for your guys like romantic relationship when you have a 13 year old and 
babies and mm-hmm. kids of all ages to have mommy and daddy time. Yeah, that's why we go to bed early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look what time it is. All the clocks turn back five hours. Good night. Hi, kids. Blackout curtains. <laughs> right? right? I mean, I have two and I'm like, oh, I have no private time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody go to school already. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's very important to have that time with your spouse. Yes. Just to carve away some time to have for each other at least once a week, like for an hour or two. Like, so. And then, like, what do they call you? I mean, do they call you Amber? Do they call you Mom? Do they call you. So it's funny. Um, my teenagers, they refer to me as Mom. Um, so like they're talking to people, they're like, my mom, my mom, my mom, you know, um, but, and then sometimes they'll slip out and call me mom. Sometimes they call me Amber. Yeah. Um, it just depends, but yeah, like I don't, I'll, that was like the most memorable moment is whenever the oldest one called me mom. She's like, Hey mom. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> here for duty. What you need? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's, so that's a go. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like kids when they would come in like I would let them kind of call me what they wanted and a lot of times it was mommy Amber or hey you or <laughs> whatever I, I get that I get the hey you because I'm awful with names I'd be like Ugh. like dude <laughs> whatever they called me I, I responded and it was just whatever but I let them choose that's awesome yeah um so how do you approach building a bond um with your children like what is the I know it's not a one size fits all, but if you could kind of think about when you build that relationship, what is the best approach to, for you both to kind of be like healthy on that end, you know, cause you can't pour from an empty cup as well. So your relationship has to be just as beneficial as theirs. Yeah. So I think that really making the child feel safe um, first, that is first first and foremost to making them full of and supported um that and just that looks different for every kid it could be a little flashlight under their pillow to make them feel secure at night and feel safe in your home it could be that you sit there and talk to them about their day um I think that spending special time with each one of them alone we did um day dates with our kids Mm. so so we would like spend like one-on-one days with the, especially the teenagers and then like we do escape rooms and um, go putt putting bowling and that so it was me my husband and the child and yeah. they like we really got to learn them and see how they um, you know do in those scenarios and situations and you really learn their strengths and their needs that way too mm, yeah um, so that was kind of a one way um, and then just listening and being there, I I have one of my my needs is to be a listener. <laughs> I'm more of a like give my advice and input regardless of whether it's asked for. <laughs> and I feel that I feel that very very deep. <laughs> one of my kids that does not work for, and it's one of my teenagers, and she has very loudly stated <laughs> that she's like I just need someone to listen to me I don't need advice <laughs> if I need if I need advice I'll ask so um I think that's how she feels the most love and support is when I sit and listen so that's awesome what have you learned about yourself through this experience mm. <laughs> that I am not invincible 
and with that being said, like, I need a break too. Um, and like a lot of like our society these days is so devoted to self-care and that's true, but finding peace in the chaos too, and finding a way to have like some sort of safe haven within your home Mm -hmm. and to be able to escape whatever it is for even five minutes, like figure out what that is. Um, I think that I've learned that I need that time. Um, It used to be that when I got home, I would sit in the driveway for 10 minutes (laughs) before I walked in because I knew it was going to be chaos. Like there's going to be stuff everywhere. (laughs) There's going to be spills. There's going to be things to do. And it's like, okay, how do I mentally prepare myself? Um, So that was a need for me was learning, learning that, um, how to, how to, um, kind of survive in the chaos. Um, I learned that I am stronger than I thought. Um, I am really, there were moments where I saw weakness in myself and instead of like, um, embracing that and like leaning on my strengths, sometimes I would just like, I would hide you know, hide and and I would shut down. And, um, so learning that I need to speak out and talk to people and really like put myself out there more. Um, those are, those are some things that I really learned most about myself. That's really cool. I like that. Find the calm and the chaos because we can't always just like leave for a couple hours. I wish I could have left this morning. like finding that five minutes or that place yeah. to go in your house like I, I really like that because I struggle with that sometimes I get mine's the bathroom mm. you know when they say husbands hide in the bathroom I hide in the bathroom I'm not pooping I'm playing on my phone <laughs> I don't want to do it because I lock the that's, door that's perfect yeah <laughs> for my oh my youngest he goes mom you done yet <laughs> and then I'm like no no a couple more minutes he's like oh okay he's like can I karate chop the toilet paper <laughs> Sure. So, like, whenever I'm, like, done, I'm, like, okay, here, come cry, have toilet paper. I'm, like, okay, I'm ready to get back in. But he'll, like, stand outside because he doesn't want to miss me wiping because he wants to cry to chop the toilet paper. I, don't know. <laughs> I, know, I know. But that's my calm. Like, <laughs> I don't even think the bathroom is a safe haven in my house. <laughs> it's, uh, I had to learn to, like, put the kids to bed, like, 20 minutes early, and that was my time. Like, after they went to bed, that is it. Like, I just get just a few moments of silence. What advice would you give to somebody who might be considering becoming a foster or adoptive parent, but might be hesitant? Um, If you and your partner or yourself, if you're a single person, because you can foster and adopt as a single person, um, I would say if you're really serious about it and you feel like it's something that you're led to do and you are definitely hard the heart for it, but you still have questions and you're just really hesitant, I would say that you need to jump in. Um, mm-hmm. There will be resources available to you. You will find your support. You will find people around you who are in the same boat and you can do it. Um, it just takes the heart. Like, yeah. And even like, and I would say also the... I would say the other piece of advice would be if you do decide to foster and you go through the process, don't expect 
a child to be completely grateful. Um, that was one thing I wish I had known going in. Um, because kids are, are like leaving a, a home that they've yeah. known their entire life and their form of stability. Right. Um, yeah. So don't don't expect them to just be immediately grateful to be in your home. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another thing, like another piece of advice that kind of plays with that is um, don't expect um, don't expect a child to be yours permanently when they come in. The goal of foster care is always reunification. Mm-hmm. So the way that I knew that I could make it through if a child was reunified is that I found those roots and those people within their family so that I can make a connection and you can make a world of difference into a single mom's life who has just lost her kids and be able to shed some insight because you have a lot of parenting experience at this point, probably, you know, Um, and showing a, a single mom what stability looks like for a family who's never had it. And they're breaking generational cycles. So, you know, go into it as you're a resource and that you are there for whatever comes. (laughs) Like, you know, you might be a stepping stone. Correct. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Amber. This was amazing. I I enjoyed talking to you. This is I did too. This is great. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I think we did pretty great for our first live recording. (laughs) Well, thank you guys. And please tune in to Little Adventurers next week as it may not be a live recording, but it'll definitely be a great recording.